I was walking through the halls of a Minnesota rink When along came a wild fan who started talking smack to me He said, I bet you never liked the blues until they won a cup and So I calmly turned to him and said, hey man, listen up I admit it's pretty great to win Lord Stanley's prize, but listen I've been waiting for this moment my whole life Yes sir, I'm a blues fan Yes sir, I'm a blues fan Heartbreak's all I knew, man That team from old St. Lou, man Got a cup in here, 52, man Give me a Let's Go Blues I know Arbor, Unger, Picker, Plager, Rab, McDonald, Shock, Hall, Chris Moore, Patey, Harvey, Jimmy, Robert, Sabarin, Baronson, Thompson, Akers, Hess, Roberto, Pierre, Plant, Jock, Plant, Gossip, Merrick, Ritz, Rubano, Stevenson, Davidson, St. Marseille, McCreary, Leffley, Ecclestone, Huck, Palace, Harry, Talbot, Keenan, Sandy, Yassi, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, heartbreak's all I knew, man, that team from old St. Lou, man, got a cup in here, 52, man, gimme a let's go blues. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, located on the best city on the Mississippi, the best in the Midwest. We've got that Stanley Cup power too sweet to be sour. And if you're still clueless, we're talking about St. Louis. We are your home of St. Louis Blues coverage on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am Tom Franklin, joined as always by my line mate, my defensive partner, and uh, my roommate, and well, soon to be roommate maybe down the road, um, but current comrade of Blue Notes, the man called Wags. How's it going, bud? Oh, it's going really, really good. I love how you threw it back to the 90s there, almost with that, that uh-uh-uh thing, you know, pointing to the Stanley Cup banner. I mean, we're going to be taking a dive into the 90s today, so it's pretty fitting. Well, whenever, you know, it, you know, we're, we're talking about becoming roommates next year and there's going to be some changes to the background, obviously. And one of the changes is going to be making the banner actually visible, you know, behind, you know, besides, you know, away from my big fat head. So that way, when I point to it, when I do that, I'm actually pointing to that and not my own <laughs> noggin like some narcissist. Um, so regardless, uh, welcome to Blue Notes, by the way. Um, I, I digress. Uh, today, uh, of course, we are in the, you know, still in the midst of November. It is the off-season doldrums right now. Some chatter about uh, when the NHL is going to return. There still seems to be a prevailing wisdom that they're going to try to get as close to January 1st as possible. But that's just speculation at this point. Uh, today we have our number three most stomach-turning moment in Blues history. And uh, it's a stomach-turning moment that is so complicated that it's not going to just tie your stomach up in knots. But it tied me up in knots just jotting down the notes for it earlier today because it is a very complicated uh, situation here. The Scott Stevens saga. And if you, don't, if, you, if you don't know what the Scott Stevens saga is, you may not know even when we're done because I warn you, this is going, there's a lot of elements here that I have to try to explain in layman's terms um, and you know, maybe not spend two hours you know, on this podcast trying to explain it. So regardless, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. And also our honorable mention, losing three great centers kind of you know, tied into that same era of Scott Stevens and also just kind of highlighting some of the uh, crazy blues trade history of the past. Of course, we have Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, going to chime in tonight with his Aloha commentary and doing his own list as well. And uh, he's got some things to say uh, about these centers as well. He also talks about the Scott Stevens saga as well. I think this is one of the weeks where we actually line up on our respective lists. So we'll 
Uh, get to that in just a little bit. And of course, as you may have noticed, if you're watching us on Facebook, Twitch, or YouTube, we're streaming on Twitch today for the first time. We are wearing the clown jerseys, the mid-90s retro jerseys, and we're doing so for a reason because, well, there's going to be another version of these. I've, I've learned to accept these as beautiful jerseys. It's, it took me a long time, but I've converted. I like the clown jerseys, but now I'm going to have to get used to the reverse retro version of the clown jerseys, and... Basically, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to go ahead and pull them up for you here right now. But, uh, Wags, explain for our listeners what in the heck a reverse retro jersey is. Well, it's essentially it's an Adidas money grab is really what it comes down to. <laughs> uh, but no, Adidas is, is coming out with for every team in the NHL. They're coming out with this reverse retro jersey, which in some cases harkens back to the early days of an organization or some sort of part of history or if you're the Dallas Stars, you know, whatever somebody decided to throw up in the radioactive chamber. <laughs> because if you've seen those, oh my gosh, they're either going to be incredibly awesome or they're going to be the just the worst thing ever. And yeah. we still haven't even talked about the Blues one yet. Uh, but no. really, it's, it's really just about, you know, creating a different look for this upcoming season. Something to kind of get fans excited and, and maybe bring in some new fans as well uh, to, to the game. Because that's really what they're trying to do is trying to grow the game. And when you've you know, going to go outside your normal time frame of playing. You got to do everything you can to bring new fans into the fold. Um, I don't know how many it's going to do that to, and I don't know how many fans these are going to alienate. There have been some really cool leaks of some of these other jerseys, uh, but we'll talk a little bit about the Blues one here in just a second. Yeah, as soon as I uh, get it pulled up, I'll show it to you here on uh, on the uh, on, on Twitter, the tweet that they uh, showed here. Unfortunately. Uh, my Twitter is not wanting to uh, take me to the right spot. Ah, here we go. There they are. I'll go ahead and put them on screen here. And uh, just to show you what we're talking about, share screen and then do the Chrome tabby deal. There we go. Professional broadcasters. <laughs> um, there we go. There, There is your look at the reverse retros. You can see the, the trumpet logo is back. Uh, looks like it's right by the collar. So they'll be back on the shoulders like the uh, um, actual clown jerseys. And then they've got the, you know, the whole collar, um, you know, graphic and text there, which is, which is kind of neat. Um, I will say this for based on these teasers, they don't look as bad as I thought they would, but I'm still not impressed. I mean, for one, um, this team is the St. Louis Blues, not the Reds. They're not the Cincinnati Reds, even though they're using the Cincinnati Reds colors here as uh Dave Aikman from uh, the Vegas uh, Weekly Nightly Podcast uh, uh, informed us uh, earlier this week. Um, and to me, it just feels like a very almost desperate attempt to keep NHL in the limelight, I guess, during the doldrums, because there's nothing going on. There's absolutely nothing going on. So at the very least, Wags, they have given us something to talk about. They they have and, and you're gonna you're gonna use the argument huh you're gonna use the argument that the St Louis Blues so they should be yeah. in blue that that's what you're gonna go with exactly yes you, you do know that there's a reason there's a trumpet there right it's it they weren't named after the color blue they're named no, after I, the, the musical genre since the start of their franchise in 1967 blue has been a part of the team jersey it's from the beginning. This would be like, you know, changing the Notre Dame Fighting Irish's jerseys to purple. 
Or, I'd be fine with that. Well, you would. You would. I wouldn't, <laughs> but you would. Or maybe or maybe they change Mizzou's scheme to, you know, maybe instead of, you know, the uh, yellow and black tigers, you know, maybe they like be they become Bengal tigers and they become like orange and yellow or something like that, which would just be hideous. But you got, you got you got a Tony the Tiger perfectly set up to be the mascot though. <sighs> Can, can Mizzou even afford them at this point? <laughs> do, do you know how many different uniform changes they've had recently? <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, it, it feels like they have like one scheme. They had the M logo for the longest time and a very basic black and yellow jersey. And you're right. You know, it feels like, it feels like they have a new uniform every week. It's I that it's it's crazy. They're becoming an organ of the Midwest. But it's like you know, I'm I'm a bit of a traditionalist. You know, I'm I'll admit. You know, I I. You know, the Blues jersey for the longest time, you know, once they came out with uh, basically the jersey that we know, it hasn't really changed much since the late 90s. They did add the yellow piping for a while, which was not the best idea, and then they figured that out and removed it. But it just, it seems like, you know, Adidas wants to pump out as much third jerseys or alternate jerseys. Now, that being said, I'm not above buying these jerseys because as you know you know wags i'm a hockey jersey collector i have at least one jersey for all nhl teams plus some defunct ones and i just purchased jersey number 100 today of my collection and it is the gold vegas alternates oh boy i found a deal on them and uh, from a from a legit guy and it's just like I, I, I did kind of make a promise to the Vegas guys that I would be getting one. Now I did promise them that I'd be getting the Petrangelo version of that because you know even though he's not with the Blues, I still like Petrangelo. You know I, I'm going to support him wherever he goes, and I'm not that bitter about him leaving, especially because of Krug. But I'm also a, I kind of a Vegas fan as well, so I promised them I would get a Petrangelo jersey. And I'll probably get it customized, you know, later on. But I digress. We're going down the wrong way here. We're talking about these <laughs> ugly abominations here, the the reverse retro jerseys. Now, like I said, I was totally against them when they came out. I, I made a graphic asking people, you know, which is the must-have blues jersey this past week. And I had the clown jersey. I had the uh, uh, winter classic jersey. And I had like the uh, the you know graphic you know video, not even of that, but just like of the guy walking um, of what the Blues jersey was going to be. And I thought it was an absolute abomination. Then the previews we're seeing here aren't bad. I will say though, they are missing out on an opportunity to have the trumpet logo as the crest. I think it is a logo that would look very good as a crest. And I've I wanted to see that on a jersey even before this idea of a reverse retro came out. Um, with a lot of the other teams' jerseys, we're seeing a lot of alternate logos and a, you know alternate crests and things like that. Heck, the Avalanche is straight up ripping off the Nordiques, you know, and making making a purple Nordiques jersey, which I, I'll admit I'll probably get one of those two at some <laughs> point. Um, but uh, regardless, I mean, it's, it's, I I would have rather have seen them gone with the trumpet logo. Um, I'm just. I, I I just I just can't do the red. I just can't do the red. Did you like the way that they looked in the St. Louis Cardinals warm-up jerseys the last few years? Um, yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a neat gesture. I, I didn't love them, you know. I'm not. In fact, actually, I'm having a tough time even thinking about them. You know, they 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 weren't that memorable to me. 
See, and I, I enjoyed them. I thought they were pretty cool. I liked, yeah. uh, especially the one with the tie down that they had. I, I think it was two years ago. Um, I, I like that. And yes, there's going to be a lot of red in this one because obviously it's going to take the place of the blue. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be, it's definitely going to be intense and it's going to be a little bit different. But this isn't going to be something that they're going to wear all the time. Well, no. Either. People, no. people bitched about the, the clown jerseys for so long as oh, well. No. I was like, and they're great. I love them. I, I absolutely them. love them. They're fine. They're they're and, fine now. I've learned to love them. <laughs> and, and you talk about the trumpet as the logo. I, I do agree. I think it would be a, a very cool and unique logo. But I think in this instance, they probably still got scared off by the rumored third jersey in the Keenan era. Oh, that they're like that thing exactly. And that and that did have the trumpet kind of as the primary logo. So I think maybe. In, in all parties' interests, they got scared by that and were like, we don't want to have that happen again. Yeah, kill that with fire. Yeah, so that that's where I could see them not using the, the trumpet as the logo. Like I said, they, they probably could find a, a really cool and unique way to do it. Um, you know, they might even be able to do something like the birds on the bat, in a sense. You know, maybe have the trumpet and then blues written on top of it at an angle. I mean, they could have done something really, really cool and unique with it. I think that third jersey really scared them off of even considering it because, like yeah. you said, that was an abomination. And you don't see the Blues really be too adventurous with their jerseys. I mean, they're generally they're I, they don't really have a bad jersey, in my opinion. You know, even the even even the clown jerseys, which I would probably rate the lowest among that, or the one with like the blues, like in the like eighties. You know, that has like the blues word mark and then the logo. I thought those were kind of weird. Uh, and I think there's a reason why we haven't seen those available, you know, as as a retro or a third jersey. So uh, if you're watching on Twitch, Facebook or uh, uh, YouTube, uh, what do you think about these? Drop it. Just you can leave us a comment as we're talking right now and we'll uh, pop it on here and we'll talk about what you think about these reverse retro jerseys. Are they as bad as we're making it out to be? Or uh, are they something that you think you'll buy as well? If you're listening on the audio version of our podcast, of course, we stream these on Sunday evenings. Uh, we're going at 5.30 tonight just because of some time uh, availability issues here. But we normally stream at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. So we invite you to check that out. Uh, we are at Blue Notes Pod on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Twitch as well. We are streaming on Twitch tonight, just trying something new here. And uh, one thing I, I, I think part of my angst with these jerseys is the if you look at them like it's it's they're they're almost orange you know you you, you notice the color on them they're they're very bright red and it's like in the in the and maybe like this light here there's like a bit of an orange hue to them whereas like if you look at our retro jerseys they look a lot more you know at least for me they look look, look darker red Yours kind of pops up as almost like that Manchester United red behind you. Yeah, I um, like which that. Which I always thought was a light red. Well, of course, I, I figured you like that. <laughs> they should be. They should be closer to Liverpool red. Okay, there we go. I'm going to say it right now. They should be, you know, a darker red. But maybe the point I was going to make was that you know maybe they should be closer to Chiefs red. Maybe that might you know? be the way that they're going. Maybe because he, of the interactions he, that they had during the Stanley Cup run. Maybe that's exactly. the direction that they're trying to do. Well, remember when Ryan O'Reilly uh, skated at the All-Star game with the Chiefs helmet on, you know, yep. and then you remember Mahomes coming in for the Stanley Cup run and Travis Kelsey, and there's there's a bromance going on there between the Blues and the Chiefs. Of course, KMOX is now covering uh, Chiefs games again this season, so uh, we just had them on today. 
And uh, so there's, I, I don't know, I, I think they missed an opportunity to make this red like a darker red, you know, if they were going to kind of, you know, play off that a little bit. But that's just me. That's just me. And, re and remember, we're still seeing just teases. We, we don't really know what this actually is going to look like. So there could be some stuff that they put out there that you're like, oh, okay. This yeah. definitely changes my mind. Now, I, like I said, I am a fan of the reverse retro. Uh, you know, the, the renderings that have come out from some people, I enjoy it. I think it looks pretty good. I like the uniqueness of it, uh, but until it comes out, I'm still not going to give it a complete stamp of approval, but just like Fair. you at some point, I probably will buy one. Probably when it's on a deep discount, you know, which is, <laughs> which is honestly, that's what I did with the all-star jerseys from this year. I didn't like them at first either, you know, with the, you know, the silver stripe going across and you had the gray and the white, they look kind of blah. You know, just on on pictures. But when I went to the All Star Game and I went to like Media Day and all the players were wearing them, they looked a lot better in person. I will say, and and I can attest to that. I own three of them now, just because you know I wait I waited for them to go on sale because you never buy jerseys at retail. At least that's you know my my stance anyway. And um, they look a lot better in person. In fact, the, the the white jersey in particular looks very sharp in person. It, it goes with the silver very well. But that was a jersey I had to be sold on. You know, so maybe I'm in the same boat. Maybe they'll come out and they'll look fantastic. Um, I still won't buy them like when they launch, but you know, maybe down the road I could be convinced. Also, I want to see them on the ice as well. You know, I want to see how they look on the ice because that was kind of also a a convincing thing for me. You know, yeah. like like there's there there's some jerseys that have come out. Like I don't rate the Blues Reverse Retro as badly as I rate like the Dallas Stars like Chernobyl Green jerseys. I mean, I. You know, someone, you know, with the Hockey Podcast Network, uh, I think it was Carter from the Ducks Podcast, he posted, he bought one, he said, oh, they look a lot better in person, and I swear, I was getting cancer just watching the thing because it looks so radioactive. I, I will never own one of those wags. I, I can't see myself owning one of those either, unless for some reason I get a job as the bouncer at a rave uh, yeah. you know, on, on weekends, and I just need to be able to be seen. That would Fair. be the only in, the only time I think I would buy a jersey like that. And if, if the stars don't partner with Imagine Dragons to have Radioactive <laughs> be that song when they come out, they are missing a massive opportunity. I'll give Dallas this, you know, and, and they're one of my favorite, you know, more favored non-blues teams. Um, they know how to pick music. You know, for their in-game and their 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 brand, like their goal song is is performed by Pantera. Which is thumbs up, thumbs way the hell up for me. That's that's awesome. So you know, I, I I think Dallas, I think the Stars organization has good musical sense, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do uh, have Imagine Dragons when they come out. Which which I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. And plus plus you know they get they they gotta try they gotta like have all the lights out in American Airlines you know in like when they come out just to see if they truly do glow in the dark. If they do. I, I, that it'll go up a tick in my mind yeah. that if they, if they plan that far ahead, that it, it really is just, you know, floating logos essentially out there that will make it a, a, up a notch in my mind. It still won't give me a, you know, the reason to buy it, no. but no. I, I, I'll appreciate the effort. Yeah. It, it, it'll go a long way. It, yeah. it, go all the way with it. That, that, that's what I say. So anywho, um, that's our take on the reverse retro. We'll see what they actually look like when they come out. But in the meantime, Hey, it gave us something to talk about here in an off season that's very quiet, you know, with Mike Hoffman and um, others, you know, uh, Backlund still not signed. Who knows where they're going to sign because of the COVID cap and just it's a weird time we live in. And, you know, with COVID cases going up in America, 
you know, the thought of having fans in NHL arenas suddenly looks a little more dire. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, there, there's still time. And, you know, the news of that Pfizer vaccine was pretty good. So who knows? Maybe there's hope on the horizon. Uh, we will see. Uh, speaking of what's on the horizon, uh, we have our Aloha commentary of the week from Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan. And uh, today he visits a, uh, a piece of Missouri military history in Hawaii, he didn't come back to Missouri for this. Uh, he, you know, he, he he can't afford flights to and from St. Louis like that just to perform, you know, you know, cute videos for uh, Blue Notes podcast. But he did go see a Missouri uh, piece of Missouri military history. Uh, we're going to bring that to you right after we tell you about our Sabers podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is Brendan. This is Taylor. And we are Straight Up Sabres, covering the Buffalo Sabres for the Hockey Podcast Network. That's right. You can hear us every Monday and Thursday on Hockey Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter at Straight Sabres or follow us on Facebook at Straight Up Sabres. We are very excited to bring you all of the latest coverage of what is surprisingly seeming to be a pretty exciting Sabres season ahead. That's right. The Rasmus Ristolainen breakout season is here. You can only hear it every Monday and Thursday. Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics, wherever you get your podcasts. Aloha! I'm Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, host of the Blue Note Fan Report, and this is my Aloha commentary. The guys from the Blue Note Fan Report have been counting down the 10 most gut-wrenching moments in St. Louis Blues history. Yes, I know they say five in five honorable mentions, I just decided to go with ten. It's easier for the countdown. Okay. Now we got that out of the way, let's recap previous shows. Number ten for the Blue Notes podcast is Scotty Bowman walking after taking the team to three Stanley Cup finals. Number ten for the Blue Note fan report is Coach Q being fired. Number five for both of us is the 1983 season when Ross Perina tried to sell the team to Saskatchewan. And... Didn't send anybody to the draft. Number nine for the guys is the number one overall pick of Eric Johnson in 2006. And number nine for the Blue Note fan report is Brett Hull leaving via free agency. Number four for the guys was the trading of Chris Pronger. And number four for me was the Mike Keenan era. Now, let's move into number eight and number three. Okay, so number eight and number three for all of us are combined, and it's why I'm standing where I'm standing today. If you look behind me, is the USS Missouri, the Mighty Mo, BBB-63, BB-63. Now, very interesting about the Missouri is she had two lifetimes. Her first lifetime was during World War II in Korea, before she was decommissioned. And then, in the 80s, she was brought back to life. During the early 80s, the Cold War was at its height. And at this period, the USSR had a superiority advantage in numbers to the United States. And in sea power, the Russia almost outnumbered us 2 to 1, and in some cases, Four to one. Now this concerned Ronald Reagan. And Reagan decided that the Navy, who was at the time about 420 ships, 
should have 600 ships. One of the ways to get there was to take the four main battleships that were in mothballs, the USS Iowa, the USS New Jersey, the USS Missouri, and the USS Wisconsin, modernize them, and put them back in the fleet, thus escalating an arms race. That's right, there was already one, but this escalated it, and in fact, had some real major consequences for a lot of people. What is an arms race and the USS Missouri got to do with the St. Louis Blues? Well, I'm about to tell you. Number eight for the guys is the trading of Cliff Ronning, Jeff Courtenau, Sergio Momessel, uh, Beck, I forgot his first name, four, two, and a fifth-round draft pick to Vancouver for Garth Butcher and Dan Quinn. That's right. That trade of our second line was part of a bigger-picture thing. My number eight was the Lowry sell-off. The guys talked a little bit about it last week, but they talked about it more as Chris Pronger. For me, it had a lot more to do with the Lowrys themselves and the mismanagement of the team and the arms race. There is word again, the arms race. Guy, what the F are you talking about? Well, let's move back to 1987-86. The players wanted free agency. The NHL didn't. So the compromise was, we'll give you free agency, but the teams are going to take a hit. And that hit is, if you sign a free agent, you have to give up five, five first-round draft picks. Five years, no first-round draft pick. Huge. The first four years of free agency, there were no signings. Nobody moved teams until 1990. That's right. A conversation between Bobby Plager and Scott Stevens' agent turned out to be the first shot fired in the NHL free agency war. And he is right. That was a bomb at the time. That's something that they did not do back then was sign players to free, you know, to those offer sheets. And what, does it surprise you at all, Wags, that uh, Bob Plager was involved in bringing in a guy that could be considered a modern, better version of Bob Plager? Hmm. A better version of Bob Plager. No, it does not surprise me at all. He wanted someone <laughs> to carry on in his footsteps and to emulate him, and Scott Stevens was the guy to do that. And yes, this is at the time that you know he still wasn't what he was in New Jersey, but you could tell what was coming. So, no, it doesn't surprise me at all that Bobby Plager wanted to bring in a guy like Scott That's going to be one of the few things uh, in the rest of his Aloha commentary in our episode today that will be not surprising because we have some surprises coming up in store when it comes to some blues history here, stuff you may not know about. But let's go ahead and continue with uh, Guy's Aloha commentary. It started a major arms race, and this is our number three moment. So the blues go out and sign Scott Stevens. They get three, or they trade out five first-round picks to the Washington Capitals. Now, Scott Stevens comes in, and this guy is young, He's hungry, he's big, he's mean, he's nasty, he's what we needed. The first year he's with the Blues, 
They increased by 10 wins and 22 points. 22 points. And in fact, they just missed the President's Trophy by one point, falling short to the Chicago Blackhawks. During that season, that's when Dan, or, uh, Quinn, um, or pardon me, Ron Caron, man, I just went blinker, bonkers. That's when Ron Caron thought that the Blues needed to get tougher and Brian Suter wanted leadership. I think that's why I heard why the Blues traded for him is because Brian Sutter and I used to fight all the time when, when I was in Vancouver and he was in St. Louis. So when he became coach, he decided he wanted me on his team. So uh, I'm glad he did. They wanted Garth Butcher. That's where the Cliff Ronning and Jeff Cortnall trade comes in. It's a bad trade all around. People that I've talked to within the organization that were there then did not like it. Now, for me, I'm a big Garth Butcher fan. Um, I've had him on the show, and, you know, he, he's told me some really interesting things about his time with the Blues. One of the reasons he was brought there was to keep Brett Hall in check. So the Blues go into the second round against the Minnesota North Stars. The North Stars had upset the Chicago Blackhawks. Then they turn around and upset the St. Louis Blues because, guess what? We don't have a second scoring line. They got traded away. End of the season comes. Ron Caron and... Uh, Brian Suter are sitting down and they're talking about what they want and they realize they need more scoring. Well, how are you going to get it? Well, free agency worked once. Free agency will work again. So they go to New Jersey and they sign Brendan Shanahan. Now, for compensation, they don't have the five first-round picks. Nope, nope, they're gone. So what do they do? They have to give some type of compensation. So in their proposal, the Blues offered a 24-year-old Curtis Joseph, who had, was coming off an injury, a 21-year-old, Rod Brindamore, and two compensatory or two conditional draft picks. They thought they were set. They thought they were good to go, nothing else. Well, that's not what New Jersey wanted. New Jersey wanted Scott Stevens. Well, they couldn't come to an agreement, so this went to an arbitrator. This went to Judge Houston in Ottawa. Um, Houston, we definitely have a problem, my friend. And I think he's passed, so rest in peace. Judge Houston listens to both of the sides and decides that what his, his words were, the Blues did not make a strong enough argument for their case. So he awards Scott Stevens the first shot in the arms race to New Jersey. Now, there are two realms of thinking, and I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this, believe it or not, and, I, and unfortunately I cannot name names, and I'm not just you know, saying that. Guys, you know who I've talked to. Most of them did not like the trade for Butcher, and they absolutely feel that this was punishment to the Blues for going out and starting the salary arms race. I agree with that. 
There are a contingent of Blues fans, me included, that believe part of the reason that we haven't won a cup, or we did, took us 52 years to win a cup, was the Scott Stevens deal. Signing him. Uh, this is a gut-wrenching moment in Blues history because they were ready. Scott Stevens goes to New Jersey and ends up winning three Stanley Cups with them and the Conn Smythe Trophy in uh, 2000, if I remember correctly. Had he stayed with St. Louis, who knows what would have happened. But he definitely was the leader we needed. Well, guys, I cannot wait to hear what you say about this. Um, Standing by. This is Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, saying aloha, mahalo. You know I'm bleeding blue with you, and I hope to catch you on the next Blue Note Fan Report and my aloha commentary. Mahalo. And a big shout-out to our Hawaiian hockey correspondent, uh, Guy the Hawaii Blues fan, for that uh, insight and analysis. And, you know, one thing that he kind of highlighted there was, you know, one thing he, he didn't, like, directly mention is that that saga really changed how restricted free agents are handled nowadays because now when you qualify a restricted free agent, like a Vince Dunn, for instance, um, you qualify him at certain tiers, and based on the tiers that you qualify them at, you have a set price for those for those players. Be it a second rounder, I think, which which I think is where Dunn is qualified at. But you know, you have players that like are you know multiple first round picks. Like if someone wanted to, like like remember last year when Montreal tried to offer sheet Sebastian Ajo. Uh, Carolina would have gotten multiple first round picks for him. So that would have been kind of a Brendan Shanahan, you know, esque type of a signing there. The difference is that, you know, the Blues, they try to do almost like a Luca Brazzi, you know, you, you know, a forced trade, you know, gun to your head. This is going to be the trade. We signed your guy. This is what you're getting. No negotiation, period. And obviously the arbitrator stepped in and said, no, that's not going to work. And it just kind of makes you wonder, Wags, you know, if if the Blues did not get into those sort of games, what would have happened to them? I, I'm, I'm kind of with, with Guy. I think that kept them, that hurt them so much that I think it kept yeah, them I mean, from winning you, the Not only do you lose first-round draft picks that could eventually develop into players on your team, you also lose that trade capital of first-round draft picks as yep. well to, to restock the cover. Then you go out and you make those moves like you know trading your entire second line for a guy that plays 14 games for you. It's Yeah, it really sets you back. And if they would have been able to keep Scott Stevens for his career, if they would have been able to keep Brennan Shanahan for his career, it would have changed things. But in that instance, you wouldn't have had a Curtis Joseph. So who's yep. in net for you in those instances? So maybe you don't you know, go on a Stanley Cup run because you don't have the Curtis Joseph backstopping you that helped out in the mid to, to you know the early to mid 90s. So you're, you go down a train of thought and you're like, okay, well, this could have led to this, which could have led to this, which could have led to this. And it's just not what it never turns out the way you think it is. It's as Luke Skywalker says, this is not going to go the way that you think. So, (laughs) 
you can look at it and go, yeah, a different course, different course could have changed things for the Blues, yeah. but the Brendan Shanahan signing is something we'll allude to later, led to a bunch of other things that eventually did get us to a Stanley Cup. I was kind of thinking back to the Back to the Future 2, you know, and the alternate timelines and, you know, how one act, you know, all of a sudden, you know, put them in a different timeline where Biff is just like, you know, big, you know, drug or casino lord or whatever, and things are just hellish. You know, that's, you know, I, I think the, the, the writers of Back to the Future 2, if they look back at the blues history and did a lot of, you know, what if they didn't do this or what if they did this, you know, you'd have about a hundred different alternate timelines that could have happened with the blues, because that's how Ron Caron was back then. And to kind of explain a little bit about what happened, we have to talk about Ron Caron, you know, first things first. Now I'm saying the name Ron Caron, younger fans may not know who he is, or they may have, you know, heard his name mentioned among older fans, you know, maybe their father mentioned it or like their older brother or something like that. Who is Ron Caron? He was a mad scientist. Mm -hmm. He was among NHL GMs. This guy was an absolute maverick among all NHL GMs. Um, you heard part of the reason why, which was you know him going after Scott Stevens and Brendan Shanahan. He was also a high volume trader. Like think you playing like the GM mode of you know EA's NHL games every year and just trading everyone that you know just you know trading like three players for three players and just you know completely reshuffling your roster before the season starts well that was kind of Ron Caron back then maybe not to that degree but he players went in St. Louis and went out of St. Louis very quickly one guy that we'll talk about later on Dan Quinn was a good example of that uh played 14 games for the Blues and then he you know they acquired him in a trade and then they shipped him out in another trade you know, that's just that was Ron Caron. That was what he did. He made a lot of great moves. You know, Brett Hall, he was behind that. He was the brainchild behind that. He drafted Doug Gilmore. He built the team that became really good in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. That was him. That was Ron Caron as the architect of that. And, you know, it's it's fair to say, you know, at, at least in my opinion, I think Ron Caron has a favorable view among Blues fans, you know, historically, just because, you know, again, he brought in Brett Hall. I mean, that's a great move. Um, he graded, and he really built the team. And I think it's fair to say his good moves outweighed the bad wags. Yeah, I think so. Because without Brett Hall, the Blues may not even still be in St. Louis. So I think that kind of gives him a little bit of, uh, of a grace in a sense that he brought in the guy that essentially saved St. Louis hockey. But there were other moves that he made as well. I mean, yes, Scott Stevens was here for a year. But what a hell of a year it was for Stevens. Uh, yes, he brought in Brendan Shanahan and it cost us Scott Stevens, but the, the, the other things that went along with that as well, you know, I, I did not like them getting rid of Jeff Cornell. Uh, that was, that was one of the things that, that really irked me a little bit. Yep. Uh, and I was, you know, four or five years old at that point. <laughs> so, I mean, when you can irk a four or five year old with a trade, uh, that's saying something, but yeah, I think he does have a very favorable view because he was also very open and he was very, uh, you know, he, he talked to the media, you know, he talked about everything. So it, it's not like he hid what he was doing. He wasn't in, yeah. in the back room doing these deals and then not explaining it. You know, he basically said, this is why I'm doing it. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then he made the moves to change it up. Like you said, with Dan Quinn, he was gone with, after 14 games. So yep. he, he definitely was quick on the trigger. Uh, mm -hmm. so in some instances, maybe not so good, but yeah. he, he, he didn't let things, you know, fester and linger. He didn't say, oh, we'll let him work through it. Uh, I'll put it this way. If Ron Caron was in charge of the Blues right now, Justin Falk would have been traded at the deadline. 
He wouldn't have been. Well, yeah, he would have. He would have been acquired. He would not have signed that contract, and then he would have been dealt at the deadline. I, I, I strongly believe that if Ron Caron was there, also, uh, I have a feeling that um, you know Robbie Fabry would have been moved a long time ago, uh, probably for someone that was just as young and you know just uh, you know he he liked trading for similar types of players. He liked to you know trade talent for talent, you know, and you know just you know try to get a change of uh, chemistry, I guess, if you will. Like I said, the man's the mad scientist. Um, but as good as it just, as I said before, you know, as good as some of his deals were, his bad deals were just as bad, you know, and, and the Scott Stevens saga is a good example of that. Not just not, you know, I mean, Stevens was a fantastic player. I, he, he was exactly what the blues wanted as, as guy mentioned, but, uh, um, but first things first with Scott Stevens, did you even know, you know, if you're listening or watching that Stevens played eight seasons with the Washington Capitals. When you think Scott Stevens, you don't think of the Capitals. You think of the Devils. I, you know, that's that's kind of surprising. And he was also their a fifth round pick of theirs. Um, you know, that part often gets lost in history. Well, at the time this happened, you know, he's he, he's going into free agency as a restricted free agent. It's 1990, and Stevens wanted to move on from the Capitals. And the Blues needed a real general-type defender, a guy with some serious teeth to his game, but also a leader. So they signed Stevens um, to a four-year, $5.125 million deal, which was big money at the time. Um, and, of course, he was a restricted free agent. Um, Karan liked to dabble, you know, in the restricted free agent market just to kind of... I know there was... I, I'm sure there were plenty of other offer sheets that he was at least considering or offered to others that got matched that we don't really talk about. Um, most offer sheets would be matched, though the Blues did get Brendan Shanahan this way, more on that in just a bit. But since Stevens was a restricted free agent, the Capitals were due compensation. And at the time, um, it was two first-round picks. But there was, there, was, there's, there was a little room for negotiation there, apparently, because the deal the Blues made for Stevens was that they would get rid of their 1991 and 1992 first-round picks to bring in Scott Stevens, plus $100,000 in cash. You know, cash always talks. You know, look at the Lindros uh, deal, for instance. Didn't, didn't Quebec get, like, $15 million in that, in that Lindros deal just, you know, because? Um, that'll, that'll do it for you. Um, but the, the catch with that deal, the Stevens deal, was that if the, if the Capitals did not have a top seven draft pick in the 1991 or 1992 drafts, the picks would become actually five first round picks. Imagine getting rid of five first round draft picks nowadays for a player. Are there, is there anyone you would give up five first round draft picks for today? Wags? Uh, McDavid, maybe I was going to say Connor McDavid's probably the only guy I'd have to say Ovechkin and Crosby earlier in their careers and their primes, yeah. definitely. But as of right now, yeah, I think it's Connor McDavid, and it's that's probably about it. I mean, there might be a couple of guys you could probably get away with it. You know, I mean, I'm looking at like a Jack Eichel in Buffalo. Uh, there, there's a couple other guys, that maybe, maybe not. If they if they have the careers that they're projected to have, I could see I could see you making an argument later on down the road that you could, that the deal was a good one. But the only one that you look at right now that you can unequivocally say yes is Connor McDavid. That's probably and, and that's probably fair. Like if if they made Drysaddle available for five first round picks, I don't think I'd give up five first no. rounders for Drysaddle, even though he was a league MVP last year. In consistency and also the McDavid effect, which. Yeah. 
basically gave Pat Maroon a career. Yep. You know, for a lot for you know, although he's you know, Maroon's still a good player. I'm not saying he was good because of McDavid, but it gave a serious boost at a time when Maroon's career looked like it was kind of on shaky footing. Oh, I, um, man, you could have gone thin ice and been perfect. Mm, you know, I didn't want it to be too obvious. I didn't want it to be too obvious. Come on. This is this is original content here on the Hockey Podcast <laughs> Network, not not rehashed. All right. So so those five first round picks stick a pin in that because we're going to get back to that. So Stevens. Great 1990-91 season with the Blues. He's the captain. He was every bit the great defensive pillar and leader the Blues were looking for. And the Blues could have lived happily ever after if, even with losing what would be five first-round picks, which, you know, I, I guess a modern comparison. You know, we mentioned, uh, you know, Connor McDavid. Of course, McDavid's a forward. But, you know, a guy at Stevens' level at the time would have been like offer sheeting Roman Yossi or Victor Hetman, you know, which... Five first rounders, even for them, I don't think no. so. That's mm-hmm. crazy. But you know, at the time, and 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 the Blues were very good at that point. You know, so they were kind of counting on those picks being kind of you know later in the first round anyway. Knowing what Scott Stevens would become, you know, and you know, fortune with the Devils might have been worth it, it for for a guy like Scott Stevens. They're, they're, they they he was they didn't make him a lot of guys like Scott Stevens. He was an absolute legend, you know, and I and I think that's pretty fair to say. Um, so they could have just they could have given up the five first round picks, had Scott Stevens as a captain for forever because Stevens wanted to settle in St. Louis. He was ready to do that. He liked the Blues, he liked the organization, he liked where they were going. He was happy as as could be in St. Louis. There was just one problem though. Ron Caron was the problem. He just could not contain himself and ever the opportunist. He had the chance to sign this young and up-and-coming forward named Brendan Shanahan. He, he, he was also a restricted free agent. This was just a year later. And he was a restricted free agent. And despite the Devils being due compensation, you know, compensation that the Blues couldn't give because of the Stevens deal, did that stop Ron Caron? No. He just, he just went ahead and signed Brendan Shanahan to an offer sheet. And the Devils weren't willing to match it, so... Now comes the question, okay, what do you give the New Jersey Devils if you don't have these first-round picks because you gave them to Washington? So they couldn't just say, well, you know, Washington has our first-round picks in 1991, 1992, 1993, 1994, 1995. You can just have the ones in 96 and 97. How about that? Well, that was five years down the road. I mean, that's that's not really fair. So the Blues offer was Curtis Joseph, Rod Brindamore, we'll get to him later, and two picks way down the road. Now, that's still a pretty hefty trade package, but the but the key here was that the Blues were f- trying to force, you know, basically New Jersey to say, these are the terms. This is a Luca Brazzi deal here. These are the terms. Either your brains or your signature are going on the contract here. That's kind of, that's kind of the deal. Well, New Jersey wasn't having that. They went to the infamous Judge Houston, at least uh, infamous in terms in St. Louis Blues fans' uh, circles. He was the arbitrator in the case, and the Devils said, we want Scott Stevens. Irony, because Stevens had just been taken by the Blues a year before for five first-round picks. So, and New Jersey was not down with the way that the Blues were doing business. Lou Lamorello was still the GM at the time. 
he was not having any of Ron Caron's bullshit, basically. So the arbitrator, uh, of course, Lamarillo made the strong argument that the devil should get Stevens. The Blues and Caron apparently did not make it strong enough that they should get Cujo and Rod Brindamore instead, which would have been still a kick in the nuts, you know, for, I mean, Brendan Shanahan was a great player, but God, those are two, you know, Hall of Fame caliber guys you're still giving up there. I mean, let's, you know, pump the brakes on that a little bit. Um, so the arbitrator goes with Stevens and Stevens goes to New Jersey and he's not a happy camper. He refused to report for three weeks and eventually he did. And of course, the rest is history. But like, you know, we, we talk about these alternate timelines, Wags. What if the Blues gave up Cujo and Rod Brindamore instead? Like, Cujo was their starting franchise goalie at the time. He by, by this point, he was establishing himself as the franchise netminder. Where would the Blues gone from there? Uh, let's see. You probably would have seen Guy Bear's career be in mm. St. Louis versus Anaheim. Yeah, he doesn't become a duck. That's right. He was taken in the expansion draft a year or two later. So, so I mean, I, I don't. That's the question. Like, you just don't know. I mean, we, we've talked about in the past about how the Blues also kicked the tires on a Martin Brodeur earlier in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other goalies out there that you probably could have gone after. And there was also the draft. Oh, wait, they gave up those first-round picks. Uh, yeah, so guys like Dominic Hoshik and stuff were, were definitely out of the picture. Yeah, it would have, it would have changed the tra- trajectory of the entire Blues organization uh, because, you know, we didn't know what Cujo was going to be like, but we had an inkling that he was going to be mm-hmm. pretty good. There's a reason why they felt like they should they could offer him to New Jersey because he was going to be of some value. Uh, yeah, it would have definitely changed everything about the Blues. They would have had a good back end, and they would have had a, a decent set of forward lines, but mm-hmm. who was going to stop the puck? Yeah, we could have had a legend of Gihei Bear. Uh, maybe the Blues go out and sign Grant Fuhr years before they actually did, and he's still the broken mess that he was after Edmonton and Buffalo, and you know he was he was really in a bad way in the early 90s. So and then he, 96 doesn't happen. Gretzky doesn't come to the Blues. Hall Maybe Hall stays, but you don't have Gretzky. We could, we could go a while on this. Mm-hmm. We could absolutely go a while on this, which is what makes it, makes it fun to talk about. Um, but regardless, it's Stevens. So the Blues end up getting Brendan Shanahan. The Devils get Scott Stevens. And the Capitals are still getting those five first-round picks from the St. Louis Blues. So effectively, the Blues traded five first-round draft picks for a season of Scott Stevens and Brendan Shanahan. Not great. Um, even though Shanahan was a good pl- he was a good player. He was not in my turn. I I never would you say Brendan Shanahan was a great. You know, like in terms like you know we look at. You know, like a player, like a, you know, like a, I guess like a Ron Francis, great player. Do we put Shanahan on that level? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, he's not a generational talent. No. Um, you know, he's he's a very effective and good player, but he's a role player. Yeah. And, you know, he, he sits in there and I don't even know if I'd set him up there as high as Adam Oates. And I think Adam Oates is kind of a role player in a sense as well. I mean, he he made guys better. Adam Oates did. He, you know, Hall, Thornton. I mean, he made guys better. Brendan Shanahan did the same sort of thing. He won cups with you know the Red Wings. He was good wherever he went. Good in Toronto. Uh, but I just don't know if he's a guy that ever would put a team over the top. 
Yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't think so. I don't think he's up at that level. I kind of put Shanahan in the same class as like a Luke Robitaille. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. you know, very similar type players. They both played on the left wing on their offhand. Um, very good complementary pieces to your superstar forwards, but never the superstar. No. Shanahan definitely belongs for me in the hall of very good, you know, but not great. No. Um but regardless, uh, so the Capitals, they have five picks to use in the, in the in the upcoming years. The biggest player they took was Sergei Gonchar. You know, the Blues could have had Sergei Gonchar. That would have been interesting. Uh, they also took uh, Brendan Witt, who was a solid NHL defenseman for a long time. And luckily, the other picks were either traded or for nobodies or they became nobodies for the Capitals. So, you know, it didn't hurt the Blues too bad. So basically, the, the Blues ended up trading, you know, Sergei Gonchar and Brendan Witt for Scott Stevens, you know, if we're going by who the Capitals actually got. So not terrible. That makes it a little better. Absolute steal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But we're not done with Stevens. Stevens is a devil now. Shanahan's a blue. And and we can finally walk away from this, right? Nope, 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 nope. So flash forward to the end of the 1993-94 season. And Scott Stevens is a pending free agent again and we're still playing by the old rules that the nhl had for free agents which was you sign a guy and the team has to compensate the other team so the blues actually in after the 1994 season i didn't actually realize this myself until i did some research on this they did get scott stevens to sign another offer sheet little more than the five million dollars that he signed in a couple years ago this time was a four-year 17 million dollar offer which in the mid 90s was astronomical you don't pay hockey players over four million dollars per year in 1994 unless you're gretzky basically so that's the kind of level we're talking about here and keep in mind the blues in the mid 90s spending money everywhere you know they 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 brought in al mcginnis because calgary couldn't afford him uh, they brought in a lot of, you know, like like Shane Corson was a free agent signing. They just threw a lot of money at the Blues were throwing money everywhere in the mid 90s. And Scott Stevens was going to be a marquee part of that policy. And by now, Stevens truly among the league's elite and the Devils matched. They decided they were not going to let Stevens go and the Devils matched it. Stevens was not going to be a blue ever again. He was going to be a devil for the rest of his career and we have finally reached the end of our story. No, we have not. We are still not done with this saga. This is this is it just keeps going. The Devils learned the Blues actually contacted Stevens before the free agency period began. Now, if this was you know modern modern times, that would not be a big deal because the league gives teams kind of a quote unquote tampering period for like a week so that they can negotiate deals with contracts and have them ready to go when free agency actually opens on July 1st. Remember when free agency opened on July 1st? That was a happy time. It was. A much happier time. The Blues had just won the Cup. It was, it was, it was amazing. But um, regardless, see, they did not have legal tampering back then. You could not talk to another team's player that was going to be a free agent until the free agency window started. So... A five-year investigation happens from this. Five fucking years to determine whether or not the Blues tampered with Stevens or not. It took them five years. 
You couldn't we, just look at phone records? You know how much happens in five years? I mean, look at the last... I mean, do you remember what you were doing in 2015? I do. Barely. I don't do even you, remember what I was doing earlier in 2020. Was, well, this year's been like five <laughs> years, so there you go. I mean, do you remember what you're doing in 2019? Maybe that's the better question. Um... So why this took five years, I have no frickin' idea. And finally, we have a resolution in January 1999. The Blues are forced to give up $1.4 million in damages, which is not chump change. And the Devils will get the choice of a Blues draft pick in the ensuing five years and the ability to swap draft slots in another year. It's kind of complicated. I had to actually see what the terms were that... And I'll explain to you what they did here. So um, the Devils could have taken the Blues' first-round pick in 1999 because it was this was before the draft. They did not, and they allowed the Blues to draft Barrett Jackman. That was the Jackman pick, which, you know, you talk about Scott Stevens' type of players. Yeah. Barrett Jackman's right up there. Imagine, Wags, if the Blues did not have Barrett Jackman and the Devils did. I would have turned in my blues fandom at that point i think wow really yeah yeah because they would have been they would have been cursed they would have been the cubs oh i grew up knowing they were the cubs of hockey i mean that's just that that's that's just a fact but yet i suffered because you know it's it's a st louisan's duty to suffer you know just in general and why not suffer because they're hockey team too if the cardinals Uh, are good the blues can't be yeah exactly i love my city don't get me wrong but we tend to have an inferiority complex in this city when it comes to sports. That's just, it's just a fact. Um, so they dodge a bullet there. Um, the Devils decide, you know what? We don't want the last pick of the first round after the president's trophy year in 2000. Um, so they miss up on the opportunity to draft Jeff Tafe or Taffy. I, I, I never knew how to say his name because he never actually played for the blues. Um, it was a, Dreadful draft year, and really the only real miss that year was Ilya Brzgalov in the second round. From then on, it was just an absolute nightmare of nobodies in that year. So can't blame the Devils for missing out on that year. Um, but the Devils did take the Blues 2001 first rounder, which wasn't much better at number 24 overall. And it actually ended up going in a trade to the Florida Panthers for two second round picks. The Panthers took defenseman Lucas Krejcik who I remember as a being a decent NHL defenseman, wasn't a superstar. Serviceable. Serviceable. He played. Yeah. He, he had a long career, and the second-rounders did not amount to much. So Bullet kind of dodged there a little bit. I think I, I maybe the Devils were working on another trade and needed that first-rounder, and it just didn't pay off for them because it seemed like the, uh, interesting time to like suddenly get trigger-happy when you're picking in the bottom sixth of the first round. You know, so... Blues got lucky there. Um, moving on, because the Devils jumped on the 2001 pick, and I remember that was kind of key because the Blues were able to trade their 2002 first rounder to Phoenix in the Keith Kachuk deal. I I may be going crazy, Wags, but I seem to remember that because the Devils exercised their 2001 pick, that freed them up to trade that first rounder because weren't they obligated to keep the first rounder in case the Devils decided they wanted to grab it? Yeah, and until the Devils had made their choice, the, the Blues could not trade those yeah. first round picks because they had to have them available. So at the very least, that them taking their decision in 2001, at that point, it, 
basically made that null and void and yep. the Blues are free to do what they want. And thank God, because Keith <laughs> Chuck was exactly what the Blues needed. It was, even though, you know, I, I did miss Michael Hanzus. Hanzus yeah. was a good player for us. Nagy was a good player for us. Yep. Uh, but they weren't at the level of a Keith Kachuk. And, of course, Kachuk became, you know, a franchise player. Uh, by the way, I realized I forgot to jot down who Phoenix actually took with that pick. It was, it was Ben Eager, who was kind of a grindy forward for Atlanta for many years, but not Phoenix. So, oh, boy, that, that pick was not a hit. And we still have that one pick that the Blues could swap with the Blues, you know, in in, in the first round. Um, their last year to cash that in was 2003, and they decided to cash it in there. Uh, the Devils took Marc-Andre Pouliot with the 22nd overall, who became, I think he had a couple cups of coffee, but nothing major. And then the Blues took defenseman Sean Bell with the last pick in the first round. I don't remember Bell. You probably don't remember Bell. That's because I don't think he ever even played in the NHL. In fact, what actually ever happened to Sean Bell? I'm going to take a look at that because that's now I'm now I'm curious because I think he got traded for someone that was kind of infamous. But let me see here. Sean Bell. Um, yes, his rights were traded to Dallas by St. Louis for one of the many netminders that we saw in the early 2000s in the Blues uniform. Can you guess the netminder? Uh, only because I looked at it, but he was actually one of my favorites at the time. Jason Bacashua. Cheater. Uh, you know, yeah. I do what I do. <laughs> yeah. Jason Bacashua. Yes, that's right. You know, I, I like Bacashua too, you know, and, and he just, uh, I don't think he ever was considered like a solution for the blues at all. I mean, he was a good backup, I think for a couple of years until the magic kind of ran out with them. Um, but yeah, I, I remember him lasting a lot longer than the, you know, the Rutkowski's and the Beckford Sue's of the day. You know, he uh, he actually had some notoriety. So I think uh, 38 total NHL games for Jason Bacashua. You know, that's that's more than zero. That's that is more true. than zero. That is more seven, than us. That is more seven, than us. 17 and four with an 897 save percentage and a 3.19 goals against average. Oh, there we go. There we yeah. go. And that is the story of Jason Bacashua, who I think I didn't he go to. No, I, I'm thinking of um, I, I thought he went to Italy to play for like the rest of his career, but I'm thinking of actually Simonetti from the Cardinals. Yeah, no, he uh, yeah. Simon Tachi from the Cardinals. Yeah, Simon Tachi. Uh, yeah, he actually. So Jason Bacashua, he was uh, traded to Colorado. Yeah, by the Blues for future considerations. Then he went to Hershey, went back to Colorado, went to Philadelphia, and in 2012 he was actually playing in Germany. Interesting. Okay, yeah. and actually Sean Bell was actually playing in Germany as well. I think see Straubing, Germany. And uh, the year before, Sean Bell had signed to play for Mannheim in Germany. So both those guys were playing in Germany. So was Sean Bell known as the Mannheim Steamroller? Um, oh, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> quality content, quality content here on, on Blue Notes and the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, by the way, we're we're razzing on Sean Bell partly because uh, he was the last pick in the first round, and the Blues passed on. Patrice Bergeron, Shea Weber, and Corey Crawford, who were taken uh, early to mid-second round. That hurt. And I remember hurting over that for a while, remembering whenever Sean Bell's name was was ever mentioned. But thankfully, the Blues did take David Backus in the second round that year, so they kind of remedied that a little bit. Um, so, all right. The Scott Stevens saga. It's done. It's finished. We have covered every angle just about of the Scott Stevens saga. We can finally move on with our lives, but as complicated. So in the end, again, the blues lost five first rounders to the capitals. They lost 
one first rounder to the Devils. Swat had to be forced to swap positions in 2003, and they lost Scott Stevens. And I think I counted a total of $1.5 million exchanged hands throughout the whole thing. Um, wow. Uh, I, I had grown, uh, grown up knowing about the Scott Stevens deal with the Devils, but when you get the Capitals involved, it gets really messy wags. Yeah, I, I remember Stevens to the Devils, and I remember that being just a, a death knell for the Blues, but all of the stuff that went along with it, I, you know, the Capitals getting five draft picks, and then the fact, and like you said, you didn't even know about it either, the fact that Stevens re-signed with the Blues after the 93-94 season, but it was matched by the Devils, mm-hmm. all of that playing into it as well, th- those are just more layers that make you go, oh my gosh, this was an absolute saga, and something that really could have hurt the blues for much, much longer. If, you know, if they didn't, if they wouldn't have played their cards right in some other instances, this could have been the end for the blues. And once again, thank you, Ron Karan for getting Brett Hall, because without Brett Hall, this franchise would have been doomed. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and just, and consider this as well, acquiring Scott Stevens from the capitals was two moves away from the blues acquiring Chris Pronger who was probably at least as good, if not better than Stevens. Although yeah. Devils fans may disagree on that, but hey, Pronger got a hard trophy. Scott Scott Stevens did not, so yep. there. But yeah, you basically went from Scott Stevens to Brendan Shanahan to Chris Pronger to Eric Brewer to Jordan Bennington in five moves. Five degrees of separation right there. Thank That's you, Kevin right. Bacon. Yes, thank you. And and if, if Jordan Bennington gets traded, I'm curious, You know, then we'll, we'll, we'll have the sixth degree. Of Kevin Bacon right there, or I guess in our case, Scott Stevens. Amazing, you can you can you can you can connect Jordan Bennington to Scott Stevens. It it is just trade trees are fun. They are are they're blast. They drive you nuts, but they're fun. And speaking of trades, we get to our honorable mention losing three great centers. So imagine it's it's the late eighties, early nineties, and you could have a forward spine down the middle of Doug Gilmore. Cliff Ronning and Rod Brindamore. Your team is kicking ass that year. Period. End of story. Maybe Ronning moves to the left wing when Adam Oates arrives. So you would have Oates, Gilmore, Brindamore. You would have Hall and Oates, and then you'd have more bang for your blues. You know, marketing here, guys. Marketing. Merchandising. Merchandising. Gilmore, Brindamore. Okay. The blues could have had that. They should have had that, and they didn't have that. And it all goes back to the same reason why we didn't have Scott Stevens either, and that is Ron Curran. Although, in the case of Gilmore, it was a little more complicated. So, basically, Doug Gilmore, he was a Blues draft pick, was a mainstay with the Blues in the 80s. He was becoming a really good young center. And then the, then the Blues trade Gilmore to Calgary for peanuts. Why? It's one of the most what-if moments in Blues history. What if Doug Gilmore did not get accused of being dirty with an underage babysitter? That's the reason Doug Gilmore is not a Blue, is because he was accused of doing some not-so-legal things with an underage babysitter. We'll never truly know what happened with that, by the way, because I don't think... I don't think were charges ever officially filed in that case. I don't, I don't think they were. So. No, I don't believe so. And everything kind of went away as soon as he went to Calgary. So whether that yeah. because it crossed, you know, 
borders or they just really wanted Doug Gilmore out of town. I don't know. But yeah, everything kind of went away when he went to Calgary and then he continued on to his amazing career. Yeah. And, and, and the other, so the blues, they were apparently strong enough accusations that the blues were like actively shopping him kind of like trying to do it very quietly and like not mentioning the course, the accusations with underage babysitter and possible prison time and all that stuff. Don't, don't, don't let details get in the way of a yeah, good no. uh, But you know, it was kind of enough that what the blue, what the blues were doing with Gilmore with other teams was kind of enough to raise like a, some flags and teams were like, why are you shopping a great young center in Doug Gilmore? And why are you asking for pennies on the dollar for him? You know, it was it was a weird situation. And finally, Calgary decided, you know what? You know, we'll take him and his baggage. And you can have Mike Bullard and a couple other nobodies, you know, for, you know, you know, for Gilmore. Now, Bullard had a great year for, for the Calgary Flames before. He was kind of a... Uh, um, kind of a one-year wonder. And I'm gonna, you know, pull up his stats here real quick. Um, of course, I don't want the comedian Mike Bullard. I want the hockey player Mike Bullard. Um, but not the same person. No, they're not. Uh, although Mike Bullard was a joke for the for the Blues in in some ways. But uh, um, but I'm and we're just cranking them out tonight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Mike Bullard in the year before he uh, was traded to St. Louis in the Gilmore deal, he was 26 years old. 48 goals, 55 assists for 103 points in 79 games. He was a plus 25. Good numbers. Very good numbers. So when you're trading Gilmore to Calgary, you're thinking that you're getting a pretty doggone good player in Mike Bullard, who, by the way, arrived in Calgary courtesy of a trade for Dan Quinn, which we'll get to Dan Quinn here Mm -hmm. in just a little bit. Um, By the way, Mike Bullard, uh, he lasted 20 games with the St. Louis Blues, um, six more than Dan Quinn did, and uh, he had four goals and 12 assists for 16 points. Not exactly the numbers he had in Calgary, and he was traded to Philadelphia for Wags. Who do you think he was traded for? Oh gosh, I have no idea. I'm not going right. to cheat either. Late 80s forward and early 90s. Peter Zezel. Oh my gosh, Peter Zezel. That's how the Blues got Peter Zezel was through Mike Bullard via Doug Gilmore. Uh, yeah, that, that doesn't sit well on the heart at all, does it? Now, I like Zezel. And Zezel oh, I like him, yeah. And Zezel was actually pretty damn good for the Blues. He was a point-per-game guy for the Blues, actually. He had some of his best numbers as a Blue. Um, he had two tours of duty with the Blues, too, actually. He came back later on in the 90s. And, um, and, just, and just to show you how these trade trees are just so crazy. So, Gilmore for Bullard. Bullard for Zezel, Zezel to Washington with Mike Lawler for Jeff Courtnall. Ze- I-, I forgot Zezel was traded for Courtnall. Huh. And then we're going to get to Courtnall here in just a little bit. Um, in fact, we'll get to them right now. Rodding and Rod Brindamore, um, connected by one player, Dan Quinn. We mentioned Dan Quinn before. Um, Dan Quinn was a guy that always had to keep a packed suitcase nearby because he was always getting traded. He was considered a very highly regarded player. He was supposed to be like a franchise-level center. You know, they were talking about him like in the same ranks as, a, you know, I don't think quite Gretzky, but maybe like a Mario or, you know, someone from that era like a LaFontaine. You know, they were talking that level of a def- uh, center for him. He didn't turn out that good. He was He was fine. He wasn't great. And he was also a giant canker sore of a human being. He was just 
people no one liked playing with Dan Quinn. Um, as Guy pointed out, the Blues traded their entire second scoring line to Vancouver. Jeff Courtnall, Sergio Mameso, and Cliff Ronning. That's their second scoring line, along with Robert Dirk and a fifth rounder for Dan Quinn and Garth Butcher. Now, the equivalent of that, imagine if the Blues, it, a big trade announced to St. Louis Blues Twitter, the Blues have traded Braden Shen, Jaden Schwartz, Sammy Blay, Mackenzie McEachern, and a fifth rounder for, say, Jonathan Drewin and Ben Sherratt from Montreal. That's not a good trade. Well, that's kind of what it was in the early 90s for the Blues because, because you know, you're basically trading for a Jonathan Drewin type of a center, you know, kind of a flaky, you know, not quite living up to his potential type. And then you're trading for Garth Butcher, who is strongly defensive first and basically like a Ben Sherratt type of a guy. You just don't do that. But, Wags, that's Ron Caron for you. You, you you take some you, you give some and yeah that's exactly what what you say I mean he that's what he did he he may not have been the best evaluator of talents but he knew if he threw enough people at somebody he would get something I guess <laughs> yeah so the saga of Dan Quinn you don't remember Dan Quinn as a blue because he only played fourteen games he was very mediocre and he was traded with Rod Brindamore for Christ's sakes. It just gets worse and worse as we keep going on here for Ron fucking Sutter and Murray Barron. Ugh, I mean, Sutter wasn't horrible, but he wasn't great. I, that was part of the time when the Blues had an obsession with Sutters, you know, because, you know, they wanted to the next Brian Sutter. Got to um, catch them all, right? <laughs> yeah, that's like Pokemon, I guess. And, and, you know, Chlamydia, if you're, you know, in St. Louis, because that's what we do here in St. Louis. We rank... <laughs> among the highest cities for that sort of thing. Um, Garth Butcher, popular player. Uh, I think most Blues fans look back on him fondly, but his best days were behind him. He was not the defenseman he was in Vancouver. Um, and, of course, I, in fact, actually, you can probably, I think even Guy kind of alluded to it, they acquired Garth Butcher because they had a Scott Stevens-sized hole in their defense, you know, and they needed some tenacity, and that's where Butcher came in. In fact, actually, Butcher himself kind of said that. Um, during uh, the Aloha commentary earlier. Um, Murray Barron, someone that I kind of viewed as a kind of like a Garth Butcher light. You know, he was a very defensive minded, didn't have, you know, Butcher's propensity for fighting and, you know, penalties, but he was a decent defenseman, but he wasn't Rod Brindamore. He was not uh, Cliff Ronning. He was not Jeff Cordnall. He was not Doug Gilmore. And my God, my God, it, it, any, like imagine if Toronto traded that level those levels of players away for the return that the blues got um they'd still be crying about that today because it's toronto oh they they would have burned the city down i mean you don't trade you know top line forwards for depth defensemen in, in a sense i mean if you're trading for a def if you're trading forwards for a defenseman you're going out there and you're getting a roman yossi or a victor hedman or or at the time a shea weber guys that can make a difference on the offensive and defensive side of the puck but when you're talking about trading goal scorers for fisticuffs, that, that's when you absolutely lose all credibility for being able to make trades. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Ron Caron, again, that's kind of he was he was the classic double edged sword as a GM. And he would be the Blues GM until 1994 when he would be replaced by our subject for the next week's most stomach turning moment in Don't Blues say it. history. Don't I'm say not it. saying that man's 
freaking name on this podcast until we absolutely have to, and we'll be saying his name and cursing alongside it next week here on Blue Notes. Uh, Wags, I need some Mylanta. This uh, th- this was a hard history to get through here. I'm I'm going to be chugging a bottle of Pepto Bismol on my way to my hockey game. I'll leave it at that. Well, one thing that does help is the fact that Blue Notes, we are uh, going to stick with the Hockey Podcast Network for another year. Um, we, uh, we, in case you don't know, if you haven't been following our Twitter at Blue Notes Pod, it's way up here now. You need um, to follow it. Yeah, you need to follow it. And then, you know, like us and follow and subscribe on YouTube as well. And ring that bell. Click the bell, as all the YouTubers like to say. <laughs> That's supposed to be a bell. I don't know if it actually is or not. But regardless, uh, the Hockey Podcast Network has been acquired by the uh, by Amaze Media Labs. Uh, and they're comprised of three sports industry veterans um, who have the ability to take not just Blue Notes, but the entire Hockey Podcast Network into new levels here you know i mean we've had a great first season you guys that are watching or listening right now you guys are the originals you were here from the start and god bless every single one of you because you're why we do this what i say at the end of every episode if it's if it you know without you there is no me there is no wags yada 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 um we're happy to stay uh with amaze and the hockey podcast network and i just look forward to where we're going I 100% agree. I mean, the the level that these guys are going to bring to this network, to our show, and the other shows that are a part of this network, and and the and the great people that they're they're going to try and bring in too. I mean, this is not a you know uh, a popularity contest, but we're going to have some great content coming out here in the next year. So make sure you stick with us and and support not just ourselves but the other groups in the Hockey Podcast Network because. They all need our support, and, and you know you may not be a fan of a certain team, but you may have a friend that's a fan of a, of a certain team. You may like our show; they may like the show that's part of our network. So you know, spread the word. It may not be coming to Blue Notes, but if we can get other people listens, we're gonna do it. And also, there's the old adage from Sun Tzu: "Know thy enemy." So yes. you know, if there's a team you don't like, you know, like for instance, maybe during the uh, playoffs, you were listening to Steam Rink, you know, for the. Uh, <laughs> You okay there, Wags? Yeah, sorry. I, I had a brewing thing. Yeah, going I know. On. <laughs> I know. I know. By, and, and by the way, one of the possible shows that we're, we're talking about here involves a not so favorite player among blues fans and a lot of hockey fans and maybe an outdoor show. You know, like imagine imagine giving an NHL player a chinchilla like young page views of of of, of Barstool Sports. <laughs> that could be coming here to Amaze and Hockey Podcast Network. I'm just saying. You know, there's some fun things coming down the road, and I and I want you all to be a part of that. And I thank you for getting us uh, to this point, and now we take that next step. So that is going to do it for us here on Blue Notes. And just like I promised, I want to thank you for listening because without you, there is no me, there is no Wags, there is no Guy the Hawaii Blues fan, and there is no Hockey Podcast Network, and there certainly is no Blue Notes. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump And always play to the whistle. Jeremy Boyer, play us out.
You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.